This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. Welcome to Bodies of Horror. The podcast where we look at all of our favorite horror films from the classic, the camp, and the cringe through a lens of disability. My name is Nicole. I'm your host, and I am so glad to have you here. And that is right, friends. I am back to my shenanigans after a brief break, and it feels so good and so right to be back. So, let's not waste any time and let's get right into it. What is on the examination table for this episode? The character of Nika Pierce, our protagonist from Curse and Cold of Chucky, the last two feature films in the Child's Play Chucky franchise. Now, I emphasize feature films here only because I know that Nika will be a character in the upcoming Chucky TV series that's currently shooting, and I do believe there are additional films planned as well, although I haven't seen a ton of detail uh, about them, but I I think I remember that there's also going to be some additional films uh, coming down the line as well. So the idea to do this episode on Nika was hatched by Anatomy of a Scream's very own Joe Lipset a while back when he tagged me in a tweet referencing this character. This is definitely a franchise near and dear to my heart because my cousin had a My Buddy doll, which the Good Guy doll is based on, and it was the fuel for so many of my nightmares as a child. But at the same time, I also recognized that Chucky was a doll, and I could never really understand the science behind a doll being able to take down an average-sized adult, so young Nicole's dissonance was extremely real there, uh, to be sure. But before we get into the character of Nika and these two films, I do want to lay out the basics of this franchise and the previous five films. All of the films center around Chucky, a good guy doll that contains the soul of a serial killer named Charles Lee Ray. Charles transferred his soul into the doll right before dying after a shootout with cops. The first three films in the series, Child's Play, Child's Play 2, and Child's Play 3, are the Andy Barclay saga. The good guy doll was supposed to be a temporary home for Charles' soul, and he needed to transfer it into a human, the first human he lets in on his true identity, uh, or he will be stuck in doll form forever. Chucky is given uh, to good guy obsessed Andy Barkley as a birthday gift after his mom finds a stranger selling the doll in an alley behind her work. This plan fails ultimately, so he follows Andy to a foster home in Child's Play 2 and then a military school in Child's Play 3. It's discovered that he no longer needs to transfer his soul to Andy specifically, so the Andy Barkley portion of the story temporarily, and I emphasize temporarily, ends after three. Then we get into Bride and Seed, and these are the Chucky and Tiffany Valentine road trip saga. Chucky is reunited with his ex, Tiffany, after he gets him out of evidence and brings him back via a spell. The next two films are basically Chucky and Tiffany trying to find suitable human forms to possess between domestic squabbles, and, of course, starting a family. The franchise stayed quiet for a little bit because Seed of Chucky was released in 2004, I believe, and then we fast forward to 2013, and that brings us to the first film we're going to be discussing today, Curse of Chucky, directed and written by Don Mancini. Who's it from? It doesn't say. We found him. Chucky's my friend till the end. Hey, wanna play? (laughs) 
Can't we sleep in with you tonight? It's only a storm. Good night, baby. Sweet dreams. Don't forget Chucky. So let's get into that plot synopsis. A good guy doll, calling itself Chucky, mysteriously arrives in the mail at the home of paraplegic Mika Pierce and her mother, Sarah. They live in an isolated house in a bad state of repair. Sarah is shown repeatedly painting pictures of the same flowers. Later that night, Sarah is found dead from a stab wound and her death is ruled a suicide. Later, Nika is visited by her sister, Barb, accompanied by her husband, Ian, their daughter, Alice, live-in Nanny Jill, and father, Frank. Alice finds Chucky and is allowed to keep him. That evening, while Alice and Nika are making chili, Chucky secretly pours rat poison into one of the dinner bowls. Frank eats the poison. After he leaves, he gets sick and ends up in a car accident that decapitates him. Officer Stanton later arrives to see the body. That night, Nika wonders where the doll came from and calls the package tracking center and is informed that it came from an evidence depository. She investigates Chucky on the internet and finds news articles about the murders tied to both the doll and Charles Lee Ray. Elsewhere, Chucky comes to life again and kicks a bucket of rainwater onto the floor's power outlet, electrocuting Jill and causing a blackout. Barb gets up to search for Alice. She goes to the attic, clutching Chucky all the time, and finds Sarah's large collection of paintings of the same flower. She finds a large knife inside Chucky's shirt and peels some of Chucky's fake skin off, revealing the stitches created by his ex-girlfriend Tiffany and Bride of Chucky. Chucky springs to life and stabs her in the eye with a kitchen knife. Nika hears Barb scream, but has to crawl up the stairs. Once upstairs, Nika discovers that Barb is dead and Chucky is alive. When Chucky flees, Nika wakes up Ian in a panic. Ian takes Nika to the garage, but is unable to find Alice. He disarms Nika, foolishly believing her to be responsible for the murders. Nika tries to explain that Chucky is alive, but Chucky acts like a lifeless doll when Ian looks at him. Ian decides to review the footage from a hidden camera that he had planted on Chucky earlier to get evidence of Barb's affair with Jill and learns that Alice is locked in a closet and that Chucky truly is alive. Exposed, Chucky kills Ian by chopping off his lower jaw with a hatchet before he can act. Nika manages to break out of her restraints and avoids an axe to the chest by blocking it with her legs. The axe gets stuck, allowing Nika to stun Chucky into dropping the axe, and she pulls it out of her leg and beheads him. As Nika tries to cover the wound, Chucky reattaches his head as her attention laps, and Chucky pushes Nika off her wheelchair and over a balcony onto the ground floor. When Nika asks why Chucky is doing this, he explains through flashbacks that as Charles E. Ray, he was a friend of her family and in love with her mom, Sarah. Ray killed Nika's father and kidnapped Sarah while she was pregnant with Nika. Charles brings flowers to the kidnapped Sarah, which are the same sort of flowers that Sarah was shown compulsively painting. When Sarah betrayed him, he stabbed her in the stomach, which has resulted in Nika being born paraplegic and escaped. Ray's flight <coughs> from excuse me, Ray's flight from the police ultimately led to his death as a human which is why he came back to Sarah for revenge. Nika, after stalling by taunting him for his inability to kill his original nemesis, Andy Barkley, manages to retreat into her elevator, disarm Chucky, and plunge the dagger into his torso, which doesn't exactly kill him. Officer Stanton, the same officer who found Father Frank's body, arrives at the house, knowing that it's where Father Frank spent his last hours, and he sees Nika holding the bloody knife near Barb's body. 
A motionless Chucky watches from a nearby chair. Sometime later, Nick is sent to a mental asylum for the criminally insane. Chucky is retained by the police as an exhibit for her trial. Officer Stanton gets in his car and sees Chucky breathing in the bag. Just before he opens the bag, Tiffany, who had been hiding in the back seat, slits his throat with a nail file. Tiffany collects Chucky and asks, who's next? Before closing the bag, she later goes to a packaging center to ship him off to a new victim. Meanwhile, Alice, now living with her grandmother, comes home from school to find Chucky waiting for her. Chucky persuades Alice to play Hide the Soul and starts the, in the infamous voodoo chant to transfer his soul into Alice's body. The grandmother, who Chucky has attacked but did not kill, sits up suddenly suffocating in a plastic bag during the chant. In a post credit scene set six months later, Chucky, still in his doll body, is delivered to Andy, now an adult. When Andy turns his back to answer a phone call from his mother, Chucky cuts his way out of the package with a knife. Chucky looks around the house, only to have Andy pointing a shotgun at him. Andy tells Chucky, play with this, before shooting him in the head. So that is our synopsis. And with this opening scene where Chucky is being uh, delivered to the home, it is set up and it is very clear that this is Nika's film. And this scene tells us quite a bit about Nika. We learn that she dropped out of the psych program at City College and she cites completion anxiety, which comes back uh, when she is taunting Chucky at the very end. Uh, we also learn that she is living at home with her mom. We also discover a bit more about her current situation where there's, uh, you know, probably a number of different reasons leading to Nika leaving school. And her disability doesn't really seem to be a key part of any of them. The completion anxiety comment may be her way of joking about, you know, not knowing what she was going to do after graduation, something... I think that all students, disabled or not, can relate to. But there are a lot of different challenges facing Nika as she makes that transition that her peers without disabilities wouldn't and won't encounter. We also learned that Nika is essentially a caregiver for her mom. Being kidnapped and attacked by Charles E. Ray was, uh, goes without saying, a traumatizing event for Sarah and has had an impact on her mental health. And we get that with the painting of the pictures. Um, you know, kind of not being able to kind of escape that uh, event and that memory. Um, when Sarah's death is ruled a suicide, Nika explains that her mom has seemed to be doing okay despite some really rough patches over the year. And I think that there is uh, a brief little mention of some medication or therapy when uh, Barb and Frank uh, are talking to Nika as well. So it's established that her mom is, you know, really struggling and has been struggling with some issues for a very long time and uh, has sought treatment and seemed to be doing okay. But it's one of those things that um, because of her history with mental illness, uh, ruling her death a suicide was probably something that didn't really give uh, folks a lot of pause, unfortunately. So before we move on from the scene, I obviously would be remiss if I didn't mention our friend delivering Chucky to uh, the home. The conversation about Nika dropping out of the psych program is started because... Uh, the the delivery guy mentions recognizing her from school. I wouldn't say that he is flirting in as much as making it known that he would be down to fuck if mom was at home. Now, I love myself a character that clearly states their wants and wishes, but my dude is not subtle. Uh, but it seems somewhat lost on Nika because Sarah is within earshot of this conversation and has to confirm with Nika that, you know, he was down to go down. 
Um, and it's, you know, it kind of segues into a, a kind of cute scene with them. So Nika and Sarah have a relationship that is, I think, full of love, but there is a slight unease to it. They are both feeling, I think, the strain of their shared roles as caregivers for each other. And those feelings of strain and stress, uh, you know, can manifest in those situations. I'm not sure how to phrase this, but as much as Sarah loves Nika, there may be a part of her that sees Nika's disability as a manifestation of her trauma. Because Nika's disability occurs when her mom is stabbed in her stomach by Ray. And seeing Nika in her wheelchair is a reminder of not only her attack, but possibly her inability to uh, protect her child. There are some similarities to Pamela Voorhees in that, I think. Uh, although both parents are dealing with their pain in different ways. You know, you've got Pamela killing and Sarah painting sunflowers and, you know, kind of being in and out of therapy and treatment. But now I want to segue and talk about Sister Barbara. She and Nika are only siblings, and I would say they're, I think, maybe five to ten years apart in age. One of the things that I wish we had more in this film is a bit more context of their relationship, a bit more of their history and whatnot. Um, I've done an episode on siblings and how disability can impact or shape that relationship, and Barbara and Nika would have been great to focus on in that episode if we had more of their actual dynamic and I think a bit more of their history. The lack of background or not really establishing that full relationship here takes a bit of the sting out of a couple of moments in Cult, which I will talk about when we get into that film. But Barbara comes in and things seem fairly standard place until she is talking to Nika about selling the house, which... Uh, after Sarah's death, she's co-owner of now, and she wants to put Nika into uh, an assisted living facility. Nika is pretty shocked by this because one thing that we have begun to establish is, and, and will continue to do throughout this film, is that this is a house that's really been customized to make it maximally accessible for her. She has independence kind of getting around uh, the house. And Barb's concern, and I'm doing the bunny in quotes here, is based on absolutely nothing. This is a situation that we would see if it was someone older, right? So let's take this, let's shake this up a little bit. Now let's say that Sarah wasn't living with her child with a disability, but Maybe uh, her mom had an illness. Sarah's mom had an illness or a mobility issue or, you know, simply dealing with the impacts of aging. The scenario of transitioning uh, mom to a nursing home or senior community wouldn't really phase us. It wouldn't be out of the norm. The mom could have absolutely no issues with living on her own or maybe the mom could use a little bit of help to be able to stay at home, but that impulse to move someone that hasn't really demonstrated a need for that level of care that those living situations would provide is something that we make sense of. We, we've normalized. Do we ask what that individual uh, we're looking to move once? Do we make those wants a priority as we examine all of our options available? Uh, assumed incompetence is something that individuals with any disability will face to some degree. Now, the payoff to this conversation, so let's get back to Barb and Frank having this conversation with Nika about moving her to this assisted living facility. Um, it's, you know, the fact that Barbara is wanting just to sell this house so she has money to leave her husband because she's having an affair with Danani, unfortunately undermines, I think, a lot of this in some way. 
Um, you know, there's not a real bit of heft to it because it's just about the money. Um, so, uh, you know, again, I think if it, if we kind of extracted that and we had more of that background, um, you know, it would be something that probably had a bit more, I think, teeth to it. Now, I will also fully admit that I uh, may be uh, a bit biased in my criticism here. I've mentioned before that I have an older sister and our age gap is in the same range as Barbanica's. Our parents were together until I was born. So before I came onto the scene, my sister and uh, had both my mom and dad. She and my dad, our dad, were extremely close, but dad left when I was born because he didn't want to be part of a family with a disabled child. So my sister lost her dad and gained a sister with health issues at the same time. And I would also add in, you know, uh, also gained now a single parent that was juggling a lot more on our plate. Not only just being a single parent, but being a single parent of a kid that needed to, you know, be in the hospital and go to doctor visits a lot and just need a little bit of extra care. So, um, Barb, so let's, you know, let's get back to kind of how this applies to Barb and Nika. Barb and Nika's dad was killed by Ray right before he kidnapped Sarah, stabbed her, and Nika was born uh, paraplegic. Her life changed in negative and perhaps associated, in negative ways, and she perhaps associated Nika as part of that root cause, because that's kind of what kids do. Kind of touched on this in the sibling uh, episode where we talked about Rachel and Zelda from Pet Cemetery. It's really hard for kids, especially young kids, to kind of get the full picture and really understand relationship dynamics. Um, you know, my sister didn't really make a connection that, you know, my dad left simply because he left. Um, and I was kind of a part of it, but regardless, um, you know, my sister was too young to really understand the kind of nuance to all of that. And so, you know, she just thought, well, my sick sister sent my dad away. Now I have a sister that I don't really want and I have no dad. So, you know, my sister always said that I was the reason that we weren't a family. I was the reason that left because that left and uh, I was sick. I, you know, again, I took away that remaining parent's time and attention away from her. And when we were growing up, she would sometimes tell people that I was her cousin because she just didn't want, you know, a sister like me at all. Um, you know, she was kind of, uh, embarrassed, uh, to, to kind of say I was her sister. So the last thing I want to bring up about Barbara is the scene where they are all having dinner. Um, they're sitting down to chili that Nika, with the help of Alice, has prepared. And Barb is very kind of undermining and a little bit petty to Nika in that very kind of, I'm, I'm being polite, but I'm, I'm really not. I'm kind of being cold. And I think scenes like this do help, again, establish a bit of that relationship. It just would have been nice to see a bit more of that, to get a bit more of how their relationship has functioned up to this point um, because it will, I think, give heft to a few things that happen in cold. So um, that's kind of where I want to end with Barbara. But now the last thing to talk about with Curse is our end and our uh, battle with Chucky uh, where Nika goes kind of head to head with him. 
Uh, one of the things that is great <laughs> about this battle is that one of the things that really annoys me is when you have a character, particularly a character that uses a wheelchair or other mobility device, that when they are you know, being pursued by someone, they have to make an escape, they're in a dangerous situation, that you know they lose access to that mobility device. They get knocked out of their wheelchair. Um, you know, they fall down and can't reach whatever it is that they need to help them. And although this is kind of what happened, Nika is really able to get around. Again, this goes back to this house is kind of customized um, to her. You know, she has the lift in the house. But, you know, this is where I think she's lived her entire life. And so she's used to being able to navigate the space. And so I love that we don't have any kind of prolonged uh, instances where she's just kind of a damsel in distress. Um, she always has some autonomy and is able to get around uh, despite Chucky being, you know, uh, able to take away some of the things that would help her. Um, and of course... When Chucky comes at her and she uses her leg, which she has no feeling um, in her legs, to block it and immediately tries to cover it, um, I think is actually pretty brilliant. And it shows a just resourcefulness and a quickness that I think a lot of characters in horror in general sometimes lack. You know, if you have something that you're able to do, if you have something you don't always think about utilizing that in the moment when you really need to pull out that skill and uh, I just love that it was something that she kind of reactively did and uh, it, it's almost kind of a, a humorous segment and a pretty kind of tense little uh, show off there so yeah overall I think it's a, actually a really effective movie I think it's a really great way to set up the character of Nika so Let's leave the Pierce home and let's now transition and talk about Cult of Chucky. Released in 2017 and again, directed and written by Don Mancini. I was six. My babysitter was murdered. And they never caught him? Justice was done. Wanna play? Nika, the murders were real. Chucky never was. That's right. He was a fantasy. A delusion. Are you feeling better now? I don't blame you for being afraid. I was very ill. Chucky told me. He's coming for you. It's important that we all explore it together as a group. I think I have something that will help. Whoa. Hi. I'm Chucky. Wanna play? First, he'll kill each and every one of you in the most horrible ways you can imagine. And then he'll kill me, too. Come to mommy. Oh, God. Are you afraid of the truth? Terrified. You should be, too. Night-night. <laughs> and they call me sick? Wait a minute, there's two of them? True classic never goes out of style. Before we get into Cult of Chucky, I do want to provide a couple of content warnings. Suicide and rape are part of the story here and will be part of the discussion. I know there is a bit of discourse, and God, I hate that word, about providing content or trigger warnings. These warnings aren't about stopping anyone from listening or engaging in conversations about these topics, but are simply to give folks a heads up in case they want to make their own choice to check out of this segment of the episode. That out of the way, let's get into the plot synopsis. Four years after the events of Chris of Chucky, 
An adult Andy Barkley still has the head of Chucky, which is conscious and deformed after being repeatedly tortured by Andy in retribution for his crimes. Meanwhile, the wheelchair-bound Nika Pierce has spent the past four years in a mental institution after being framed by Chucky for the murders of her family. After therapy, she now believes she was responsible for the murders and that Chucky was a manifestation of her psychosis. Dr. Foley, Nika's doctor, has her transferred to a medium-security Harrogate psychiatric hospital. In group therapy, Nika meets Malcolm, a man with multiple identity disorder, Angela, an old woman who believes she is dead, Claire, a woman who burned her house down, and Madeline, a patient who smothered her infant son to death. Dr. Foley introduces a technique involving a good guy doll. Most of the patients are unsettled by the doll, except for Madeline, who treats it as her baby. Nika is visited by Tiffany Valentine, the legal guardian of her niece, Alice. She is devastated when Tiffany informs her Alice has died, apparently of a broken heart. Tiffany leaves Nika a good guy doll, which she claims was a gift from Alice. That night, Chucky awakens and discovers Nika has attempted suicide. The next morning, Nika finds her wrist had been stitched up with a message stating, Not so fast. She discovers Angela has been killed, leaving the message Chucky did it. After realizing that Valentine was the last name of Charles Lee Ray's girlfriend, Nika understands Chucky is real. Fearing Madeline is in danger, Nika has Malcolm try to warn her. However, Madeline throws both the doll and Malcolm into an empty grave. The orderlies rescue Malcolm. Claire attempts to get rid of Chucky by dumping him down the garbage chute, but he bites her arm. The orderlies sedate Claire, believing she was harming herself. Chucky then kills Claire by launching a compressed air tank into the skylight, causing glass shards to decapitate her. Andy learns about the murders online and realizes Chucky has somehow managed to transfer his soul into multiple bodies at once. In a private session with Foley, Nika agrees to be hypnotized in order to access any repressed memories about her involvement in the murders. Foley, who has been uh, sexually abusing Nika, is hit from behind by Chucky. Foley believes Nika is the one who assaulted him, but is willing to keep quiet in order to blackmail her for sexual favors. Madeline smothers her good guy doll with a pillow, forcing her to confront the repercussions of a real child's death. Orderlies bury the doll in order to placate Madeline. Determined to end the carnage and save Nika, Andy commits himself into the institution by assaulting one of the security guards. Carlos, a nurse, delivers a package to Foley, another good guy doll. Madeline is visited by her own doll, which has risen from the grave, and she allows the doll to kill her so that she can finally be with her baby. Foley attempts to assault Nika, but is knocked out by one of the Chucky dolls. Two dolls are now alive due to Madeline's Chucky doll splitting its soul inside of Foley's doll. One of the dolls awakens the short-haired doll Andy had sent with a weapon inside. The three Chuckies reveal that the original Chucky found a voodoo spell on the internet, which allowed him to separate his soul into multiple host bodies, and thus creating a cult. Alice was one host, but she was killed in a physical altercation. All the dolls then kill Carlos in front of Nika. Tiffany returns and kills a security guard by slashing his throat. Fully Chucky doll transfers his soul into Nika, giving her body the ability to walk again. She then stomps on Foley's head, using high heels that Foley had given Nika earlier, killing him. She stumbles upon Malcolm, who confessed to killing Nurse Ashley, and is subsequently killed by Madeline's Chucky. Andy's Chucky, the short-haired one, attacks Andy, but Andy reaches into the doll's chest and pulls out a gun he had planted there. He shoots the doll and stomps his head, killing him. Nika appears and taunts him. He tries to shoot at her, only to discover that he has no ammunition left. The institution is sent to lockdown, resulting in Andy being locked inside his cell. With Andy's Chucky defeated, Madeline's Chucky goes into full doll mode, and Nika, possessed by Foley's Chucky, 
ends up escaping. She reunites with Tiffany before driving off together with the Tiffany doll, which is revealed to be alive as well as sharing a portion of Tiffany's own soul. In a post credit scene, Andy's former foster sister, Kyle, enters Andy's house, having been sent by Andy to continue torturing the original Chucky's severed head while he went to save Mika. So that is our plot synopsis. And where Curse put Nika for basically the entire runtime of the film as, uh, you know, front and center of all the action of the movie, Cole keeps Nika as that center point in our protagonist, but gives us more characters that we get to know. We're given lengthier scenes with these other characters not involving Nika, where we learn a little bit about their backstory. And this is a pretty big contrast to curse in that regard. This doesn't mean, though, that Nika is sidelined. Colt does some deft work in bringing back some of the big and small aspects from Curse so that Nika's story does continue. Colt starts with Nika being transferred to a medium security facility, one perhaps a little less restrictive than the one that she is currently at. And she is granted this transfer because through her treatment with Dr. Foley, Nika has come to accept, and I'm using the uh, air quotes here, responsibility for the murders of Jill, Barb, and Ian. During a group therapy session when she arrives at Harrogate, she gives the motive that she was jealous of Barb and possessive of Alice. We know this is complete bullshit because Nika has been manipulated by Dr. Foley, but truly believes this. This gets to the issue I had with there being minimal relationship building between Barb and Nika and Curse. There is nothing to indicate jealousy on Nika's behalf, and neither Barb or Ian raise concern about her relationship with Alice. This is, I get it, kind of the point. Again, all of this is a result of Dr. Foley's abuse and brainwashing, but it plays on the idea that folks with disabilities have an inherent grudge or jealousy towards our siblings or friends or really anyone that isn't disabled. I mentioned this briefly during the episode on siblings, and it's really apparent that Foley is using this and Nika's increasing isolation to get her and everyone else to buy this line. Nika's isolation is complete when Tiffany, via the, via the body of Jennifer Tilly, arrives to not only give her Chucky, but tell her that Alice, someone she truly and completely loved, and really her only remaining family member and kind of connection to the outside world, is dead. And dead because the pain of what was brought on by what Nika has been brainwashed to believe she did. Alice was one of the only individuals that had any idea of the truth of what happened, knowing Chucky's true identity, and while she wasn't there when her parents or Jill were killed, Chucky likes to boast, and I'm sure that he told her at some point before possessing her. In addition to the loss of her family, Nika seems to not have any friends. She never mentions any friends. There aren't any friends that come by to extend condolences when her mom passes and curse. She's truly without an outside support system. Even before the death of Sarah, we get the sense that both of them are kind of stuck close to home and close together. For Nika, her being a homebody can be attributed to a lot of different things. Her disability being one of them, being in a wheelchair, using any kind of mobility device or aid can pose a lot of accessibility issues, can make it more difficult to build relationships because of fear of how people will treat you or act around you, and also her role as a caregiver for her mom being another uh, possible kind of contributing factor. Like many predators, Dr. Foley has used Nika's lack of connection to folks outside of himself to perpetrate the abuse. Her using a wheelchair only limits her ability to physically retaliate against him. He makes a comment at the end of Colt right before he is taken out 
about always falling for the crazy ones. We don't know if Claire or Madeline or Angela or any of the other patients were being assaulted by Dr. Foley, but the line is an indication that he has a history of it at least. I want to add this bit here from the Center for American Progress to shed a little bit of light on the experience of individuals with disabilities and sexual violence. Sexual violence against disabled people is a silent epidemic, often overlooked both within and outside of reproductive health, uh, rights, and justice circles. According to the Bureau of Justice Statistics, 2009 to 2014 National Crime Victimization Survey, people with disabilities were more than three times more than likely than non-disabled people to experience serious violent crime, such as rape and sexual assault. In addition, having multiple disabilities can increase a person's risk of rape and sexual assault, and children with mental health or intellectual disabilities are almost five times more likely than their non-disabled, pe- their non-disabled peers to experience sexual abuse. I wanted to add that little bit um, from that report because I think it's important to note that what Nika is experiencing is harrowing, but unfortunately common for individuals with disabilities. And of course, as the report states, it's an even uh, greater uh, risk of an experience for individuals with specific disabilities, such as intellectual and developmental disabilities. In the final scene with Foley when he is preparing to assault Nika, again, he gives her a pair of high heel shoes. And it's hard not to associate that with her disability. Of course, it can always be, you know, he could have a shoe fetish or something, but it's hard not to make that connect. And so it's just another way that her disability is kind of factoring into the abuse and him wielding some kind of power over her body in that instance. And um, just, you know, something that I was thinking about, particularly in this rewatch, it stood out to me. But as we're talking about the demise of Dr. Foley here, we can't really talk about it, <laughs> excuse me, without, the, uh, without mentioning Nika's newfound ability to walk. And there's a couple of different ways to look at this. The first is Nika's ability to walk is the time-tested, non-disabled viewer-approved take that a disabled character can only be powerful through the loss of their disability. In other words, they only reach their final form when they are not disabled or perceived as disabled. It actively invalidates the strength and independence that uh, a character, in this case Nika, has possessed up until this point. And I won't even touch on how someone that has not walked in their entire life would be able to walk without intense level of physical therapies. Muscular atrophy, don't know her. Or that being possessed should somehow have the ability to heal physical damage that cause Nika's paraplegia. I remind you, though, that this is a world where a doll has the ability to overpower average-sized adults. Fortunate that we often don't hire actors with actual disabilities so we can pull off these magical feats. Now, the second way to look at this, Nika has been given the ability to walk by the person responsible for her disability in the first place. Her first order of business, crushing in the skull of her rapist. This isn't about Nika's experience as a person with a disability, but as a victim of repeated sexual assault, where physical retaliation was one of the only options she had to find any form of justice because Dr. Foley had made sure to create a situation where she wouldn't be believed by anyone if she spoke out. As his patient and being part of the criminal justice system here, Dr. Foley was essentially Nika's caregiver and was trusted to make decisions and support Nika. 
And she didn't have any advocates outside of that. So she really didn't have any other form of recourse, at least in her mind. And I would say, you know, most of us can kind of look at that in that way as well. So those are kind of the two options, or you can be like me and choose options three, which is a combination of those both. Um, I think they both are kind of true and interesting in combination together. Now to close out the conversation on Nika, I need to talk about Fiona Dorif, who plays Nika. Fiona is obviously not a wheelchair user in real life and is the daughter of Chucky, or Charles Lee Ray himself, Brad Dorif. I think she is really, really good in these films. And I'm really excited to see what's next for Nika in the TV series. In an interview around the time of Curse's release, I think, Nika talked about how she had visited a rehabilitation center and talked to folks that use wheelchairs and kind of learn a little bit about their experiences. And uh, an interview, I think around the same time, uh, Mancini also start, uh, cited Mark from Friday the 13th Part 2, a personal favorite character that I will always be pissed at Jason for killing before he had an opportunity to get down and dirty with Vicky as an inspiration for the character of Nika. But we couldn't have had this ending with Nika walking out of the institution and connecting with Tiffany and them driving off together. None of that could have happened if this actor um, would have been a wheelchair user. And just, you know, again, I think something to think about. And that's that on Nika and Kirsten Colt of Chucky. I really do like both of these films. I like Curse quite a bit more, although I think there's a lot in Colt to like. I just feel that the humor towards the end of the film just doesn't hit right, particularly when you have the three Chuckies in uh, Dr. Foley's office. It there are just some real clunker lines. But there are some moments of humor that really do hit well. My, I think one of my favorite lines in Cold by Chucky is when he is preparing to kill Claire with the compressed air um, container. And he asks her, you know, well, what, what does compressed air what does it do? What does this mean? And he's like, no, I'm seriously asking because I don't know. It is actually very funny, and I always chuckle at that line. So there is some really great humor in there. It's kind of sparse. Um, but, yeah, the humor at the very end, I don't – it just doesn't hit the same. Curse is obviously a little bit different because Chucky doesn't talk until the very end, and I would say that he's pretty light on the jokes. He makes some quips, but, you know, he's not extremely verbose and kind of keeps it in the same vein as, like, early Freddy, you know. He pulls it out only to pack a punch. So I like them both. I love this franchise because it's such a huge part of my childhood, and... These are films that are instant go-tos if I want something on that just kind of, you know, feels good in the soul. I'm really looking forward to the Chucky TV series, continuing the adventures of Nika and Andy and new characters. And of course, Jennifer Tilly is involved and she's always a delight to watch in these films. So I'm really looking forward to it and seeing how the story continues. I will very briefly mention the 2019 remake of Child's Play. This is not part of the Don Mancini universe of Chucky. So 
has really nothing to do with any kind of continued storyline, characters, actors, anything. And there's some drama, some not great feelings about that. I would highly recommend listening to the Horror Queers episode, I believe on Seed of Chucky, because uh, Trace and Joe talk a little bit about kind of the background of, uh, you know, how that remake got made and Don Mancini's kind of being pushed out of involvement. It's it's a lot, but the episode is great just because Seed of Chucky is fun. Um, but it's a really great little primer if you want to get that background. And it is kind of interesting. But I saw the remake. I liked it okay. Um, I still prefer, I think, almost all of the... Don Mancini written and directed or written and directed films of the universe. But I mentioned the remake because our Andy Proxy in the remake has a disability. He is deaf or hard of hearing and has hearing aids. The thing about that is it doesn't really play an important role in the film. And so... Yeah, not something we'll be covering here. Um, I like the film fine. I think there's some really cool kills. But overall, it's just fine. Um, Doesn't really do anything uh, truly interesting with the property. So I'm not surprised that, you know, there hasn't been really any talk about uh, a sequel, even though there is a bit of a setup at the end for additional films. So, so yeah. That is it on Nika and really, I guess, Child's Play overall at this point. Um, Thank you so much for listening as always. It really means the world. Bodies of Horror is a very proud member of the Anatomy of a Scream pod squad. So if you haven't already, which if you are here, I would hope that you would be subscribed to the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad feed. So if you haven't, please subscribe uh, and rate and review. It not only helps people find Bodies of Horror, but all of the other amazing, amazing shows that are part of the squad. And new shows are always uh, popping up. So it's a very cool and exciting feed to make sure you're subscribed to because you never know when something new is going to drop. Thank you again for listening and until next time. The Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad.